Well, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in a situation where you were with your close friends, maybe family members. Is that me crackling there, Tom? Yeah? I'll just try and sort that out. Um, you're with your close family members, friends, and you know that you are leaving them, for whatever reason that might be. And in this scenario, you're not going to see them again. So your time with them is limited. You're in your last few moments. What are you going to say? Now, as you think through those words, the words that you're going to share with those nearest and dearest to you, those words are going to be weighty, aren't they? They're going to be heavy. They're going to show something of your priorities and your purpose and your heart and your desire for them. See, they're going to be important words, aren't they? When it comes to Jesus' words here, remember he's about to leave them. And he is going to be taken and uh, be killed on the cross. And these are his last few moments with them before that happens. And so he is praying. Now, when Jesus prays in these verses, the disciples are meant to hear what he's saying. So if you look at verse 13, he says, I am saying these things for their joy. We'll get to their joy in a moment. But you see, he's saying these things, knowing that they're listening. So it's not like the disciples are kind of hiding behind a tree, hearing and overhearing this prayer, but Jesus is praying it with the full knowledge that they can hear. They'd have heard him pray before. You know, that's why they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. They wanted to know something of the prayer and the reality of prayer that he had. And also in John 11, Jesus prays, as he prays uh, just before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I pray these things for those listening as well. So this is not new that Jesus prays out loud with knowing that his disciples are hearing. So these are the last few moments with the disciples before he's taken away, before they are going to go through something traumatic in seeing their close friend being ripped from them, but as he faces that as well. So can you see the importance of these words? And these words are going to express some priorities, the heart of Jesus, his desire for them. Now, there are three things we're going to look at here that show us what's on his heart and show us his burden. And if these are the burden of the, if this is the burden of the Son of God, should it not be our burden too? Yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing we need to be asking as we look at this. So the first thing that we see that's on the heart of Jesus that he wants to get across to the disciples is this. He wants the truth to be known, the truth to be known. We see this in verses six to eight. So Jesus tells us here one of the things he's already accomplished. You see, verses 6 to 8, I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Jesus is showing us again here, look, the disciples have grasped who I am. I have manifested to them, he said, your name. I have made God the Father known to these disciples. That's what I've done. And they have received you, they've accepted you, they've understood, they believe that I have come from you. So Jesus is showing us here, isn't it? One of the main purposes of him coming was to manifest the truth about God, who God is. If you want to know what God's like, remember Jesus says, look at me. So if you're wondering and thinking, who is God? What is he like? We look to Jesus and the truth about who God is has been received by the disciples. And Jesus is saying this, Father, they've heard, they've seen, 
and they've understood the truth. I'm from you, and I've made you known to them. That is what Jesus is getting across here. So what does that tell us about the burden, the heart of Jesus in these precious few moments with his disciples? Well, it shows us this, doesn't it? God wants us to know what he's like. God wants us to know what he's like. And Colossians 1, 15 tells us this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1 tells us this. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So who is Jesus? You look at Jesus and you see who God is, what he's like. He has made himself known. You know, imagine uh, you move into a block of flats. And in this block of flats... Um, somebody moves in upstairs and they're new and you hear their footsteps above and so you start to wonder what they're like maybe you start to work out how heavy they are based on their footsteps maybe you hear a ball bouncing and think oh they must enjoy tennis uh, maybe you hear an animal moving around and say oh they must love cats or something that you build up a picture of what this person is like and then one day you get a knock on the door and it's your upstairs neighbor they've come to introduce themselves to you. So suddenly, if you thought they were big and large because of their footsteps, you see, oh no, they're slim, so that was wrong. You think they had a cat, oh no, you see there's a dog. You think they were going to play tennis, no, there's just a ball for the dog. And all the things you thought about them, all the guesses you made are now gone because the person has come and introduced themselves to you. When it comes to God, the guesses are gone. We don't need to think, oh, I think God is like this. Oh, I think God's like this. Oh, I think God would love this or you'd hate this. The guessing is over because he has come and introduced himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we can say, God is like this. God loves this. He hates this because through Jesus, we know. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're investigating these things, thinking this through. Can you see how important this is? Jesus is showing us who he is and you need to make your mind up about who he is. If he is who he said he was, this is so important. The creator God, the one who made you, has come and made himself known. What do you make of it? You can't dismiss him as irrelevant. You've got to come to a decision about him. Uh, is he crazy? Is he telling the truth? What is it? You need to make your mind up about him. These are big claims to be made. And if you're a Christian this morning, can you see why we want to get to know Jesus better? He is the revelation of the Father. He shows us who, um, what truth is. Truth isn't up for grabs. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He defines truth. When we are stuck and when we have these questions, we need to come to him. See, this is who Jesus is. And look what it tells us about this God that we're praising and worshipping. God wants to be known. He is not far away and distant. He has come close. He isn't aloof, but he is humble. He's the God in the flesh. What did he do? We've seen a few chapters ago. He washes his disciples' feet. That's the God we come to. The one who is willing to get down his hands and knees, take the lowliest of low of situations, and you know, um, try and clean these dirty, smelly, calloused feet of the disciples. He was willing to do that. And as we keep looking at Jesus, he's the one who is willing to become dirty for us on the cross. He was the one who is willing to bear our sin and our failure. Our God is one who is pursuing us. He doesn't stay far off, but he comes close. God's heart is always outward. We saw that a couple of weeks ago, thinking about who God is in his being, the Trinity. And when you look at God in the Bible, do you notice he's always coming after his people? 
Remember when Adam and Eve turned away from God? Who made the first move? Adam, where are you? He came. When you look at Abraham, Abraham wasn't looking for God, but Jesus, uh, God came after him and said, Abraham, I'm going to use you. When you look at Jacob, again, God comes into Jacob's life. Moses, he appears to him. Solomon, he comes down in his glory in the temple. You keep looking through, God is making the first move. And so Bethlehem comes, and of course God comes to earth. Of course he does. That's his heart. This is the truth of God. God, uh, Jesus has manifest the truth of God to his disciples. The disciples accept it. And so Jesus says, look, I've done it. Father, I, I, I've shown them who you are. He wants us to know the truth. Now, maybe this morning, even through you being here, is another reminder that God is pursuing you. Maybe you've drifted. You know, these have been a strange, uh, it's been a very strange year, as we keep saying. And maybe you've just felt your heart wander. Do you see what God is like? He's not going to just let you go. He's coming after you and he said, come on. Come on, I love you. Look at what I've done. Look at this truth. Look at who Jesus is. You can have confidence in him. He's pursuing you. He loves you. So if you feel far from God today, look at Jesus. Hear his words and accept his love for you. He loves you that much. Jesus wants the truth to be known. That's what's weighing on his heart. That's what's heavy on his heart. And that is something that still helps us today. The second thing we see is this. Jesus wants the truth protected. We see this in verses 9 to 12 and verses 14 to 16 as well. So Jesus then turns and he's praying for the disciples when he leaves. Now, even though he's praying specifically for his disciples, there's also, it helps us, doesn't it? Because they're followers of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus as well. So there's going to be things that apply to us and help us here. But he knows that the Father has given them to him. We read that, didn't we, in the verses 6 to 8. And he's, they are a gift from the Father to him. They are given by the Father. And he knows that he's protected them these three years. Look what he says in verse 9. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. For they're yours. All mine are yours. And all yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So you see, I'm going from the world now, but they're staying. So Father, please look after them protect them keep them now what would they need protecting from i think that here there's two things that jesus prays that they're protected from the first is a danger from inside and the other is a danger from outside can you see what he prays um, in at the end of verse 11 i pray that you would, they may be one even as we are one so the, the threat from inside is division yeah, disunity we're going to look at that next week. It comes up in next week's passage. So we'll look at more in depth of what it means to be united together as Christians. But you see, Jesus is praying his heart is for unity amongst those who follow him, not division. So the threat is that they're going to divide and Jesus prays, keep them together. Keep them united together. Now, if Jesus is praying for that, don't we need to pray for that? I'm sure you have seen it's easy for Christians to fall out about things easy for us to um, follow to lots of different things and so we need to be on guard we need to pray lord protect us from the inside you know, look after us keep us united together and as we think of that ask yourself are your words uh, geared towards unity for us as a church 
Are your thoughts and prayers and actions, are they aimed at unity or division? Now let's, if Jesus is hard for us to be one, let's be one. We'll look at what that means and what it doesn't mean a bit more next week. But Jesus is praying for this, this unity, the, the threat from inside. But also there's a danger from outside as well. And we look down to verses uh, 14 to 16 for this. Uh, Jesus tells us a few times here, he's leaving the world, but the disciples are staying. He's not of the world, and they're not of the world, but he's leaving them in the world. And so there's going to be uh, hostility. He's leaving them in a hostile environment. They're different from the world, different priorities, different burdens, different uh, things and thoughts that they have. And so he is leaving them in a place that's against God. Remember when you see the word world in John's gospel, it's talking about a world that's against God, that doesn't like God, that doesn't want God in their lives. That's why John 3.16 is such an amazing verse. For God so loved the world, that is the world that don't want him, he loves those people. He loves us even when we're against him. God so loved the world, but he's saying, I'm leaving them in the world. And he's already said in chapter 15, the world, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me first. So verse 14 comes and Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. As an enemy, Jesus reminds us, Satan hates Christians. He wants us to stop believing. He wants us to, to give up on Jesus. We thought about this midweek with our prayer meeting on uh, the part in the Lord's Prayer. It says, you know, um, keep us from, uh, forgive us our trespasses and for those who trespass against us uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Every day, Jesus wants us to remember there is an enemy. We're in a special and uh, in a spiritual battle and, and Satan wants you to give up. Now, I think he does that in lots of different ways. Sometimes he does that just by making us kind of lukewarm, yeah, just kind of not care. Or maybe he does it by um, wanting you to give up, by, by throwing uh, lots of different tough situations and wants us to say, well, that's it, I'm, I'm done. But one way that Satan is described in the Bible by Peter, who would have been listening to this prayer, is that he's described as a lion, isn't he, prowling around. When you put those two dangers together that Jesus is praying for, the, the danger from inside and the danger from outside, you see what you've got. Interestingly, looking at the National Geographic, I looked this up just to double check, and everybody will kind of accept National Geographic, know what they're talking about when it comes to nature. This is what it says about lions. Lions are fierce predators. Well, we know that, don't we? But often they stalk their prey before attacking. Their attacks cause prey to panic and disperse, allowing the lions to isolate and attack weaker or a slower individual. So what does a lion do? Gets, gets their prey on their own. Then they are vulnerable to attack. What does Satan want us to do? Disunity. He wants us to divide, you know, to stay away from each other. And then it's easier for him to attack us. So can you see how this year we are particularly vulnerable spiritually? If we're apart from each other, if we're, you know, um, not together, as we haven't been able to be in many ways, then we're under, you know, we're in a really vulnerable situation. Jesus is praying, Lord, keep them together. Together. Uh, they can care for one another, protect one another, and, and pray together. Now, maybe this year you are just so aware of feeling spiritually isolated. And you are feeling spiritually empty. Can you see why? We've missed out on things that we need to keep going. 
we're slowly getting those things back aren't we which is wonderful to know and so we need to be aware we're in this particular situation and we need to pray for each other we need to remind ourselves how important things that we took for granted before are like being together praying together praying for one another but also as well as this being a challenge and seeing the the threat there is do you see the encouragement here the son of god is praying for his followers to be protected and kept jesus prays for you to be kept um, until you're in glory now jesus says here that those who trust in him they're the property of the father you are god's you are his and jesus says in a few places in even in john's gospel listen to what he says in john 6 he says this is the will of him who sent me the father that i should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise him up on the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and i will raise him up on the last day you know, I, I'm going to protect you, Jesus says. My Father wants to protect you. Peter um, said these words to the church that was under threat from real persecution in 1 Peter. He says, um, Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. He's caused us to be born again to this living hope, to this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, listen to this, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time you are being guarded protected by god john 10 jesus says my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand jesus says my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand my father and i are one do you see the safety and the uh, the uh, security that we have in jesus so the desire of almighty god the burden of his heart is to keep you safe until the end so maybe you're thinking today i can't go on i feel like giving up remember these words if you're trusting in jesus god has got you and he's not letting go it is not your grip on him that's important but his hold of you and he is not letting you go no one has taken you out you're safe jesus says i'm praying for you now when you hear that truth when you hear that actually the everlasting arms are underneath and he's not letting you go doesn't that draw you to him instead of making you want to give up and say oh that's it he says actually he's got me and that draws us close and that helps us to keep going so god is with you today in your trial that you might be in in your temptation in your disappointments in your the hostility you might be feeling from those around he is not letting go god is for you and not against you and if god is for us who can be against us as paul tells us in romans 8 jesus heart is praying for us and he ever lives to intercede for us hebrews tells us he's still praying for us today for your protection you're not on your own god will guard you until that last day there is safety even in a hostile world so there's a truth that jesus wants us to know there's a truth that he wants us to be protected but the last thing is this he wants this truth to be shared go verses 17 down to 19. so jesus followers he knows they're going to face hostility 
uh, but he doesn't want all his followers just sticking together without mixing at all, if that makes sense. He doesn't want us just in a holy huddle. He doesn't want us to say, right, stick together and batten down the hatches and that's it, you know, don't ever speak to anybody else. No, no, he says no. Listen to these words, John uh, 16, uh, 17, sorry, 18 and 19. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So what's he saying? As I've been sent, I am now sending my followers. Remember how and why Jesus was sent from the first few verses we looked at today, verses 6 to 8. He was sent to show the truth about the Father. You know, people have all different kinds of ideas of who God is and what he's like. And so Jesus comes and says, that's it. No more guesses. I'm here. This is what I'm like. And so we are called in the same way to go and share the truth about Jesus and what he's like with those around us. So if we are called to share this truth with people and tell others about who Jesus is and how great he is, what do we need? It's interesting, isn't it? We don't need an evangelism course. We don't need any particular training. I think we need two things we see in this passage. We need to, be, we need to see the truth and we need to be sanctified by the truth. See the truth, what I mean by that is we need to see who Jesus really is. We need to see that he is from the Father and he has come to reveal what God is like. And when we look at Jesus, we see God's amazing love and grace and kindness and holiness. And we see it all in Jesus. When we look to the cross, we see Jesus in all his glory, taking the punishment we deserve. We see the justice of God. But he also does that because he loves us. We see the love of God. And they meet together beautifully at the cross. So we see who Jesus is. And when we see how great he is, what are we going to do? We're going to want to tell other people. It's just what you do, isn't it? When you experience something good, you want to share it. Have you recommended a book or a TV program or a box set or a song or something to somebody recently? I'm sure you have. Why? Did you go on a course on how to tell somebody about a nice meal you've had or a nice restaurant or a, a nice film or a good film? No, of course you didn't. You enjoyed it and so you shared it. You saw it was great and so you wanted to tell someone. That's what we need to do, to see the glory and the greatness of Jesus, and we'll want to share that with others. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, there Isaiah sees the glory of Jesus. He sees the glory of the Lord. He sees his sinfulness. He is forgiven by God as the, the coal from the, uh, from the altar touches his lips, and he knows his forgiveness, and then he hears God say, who will go for us? And he says, here am I, send me, I'll go. I've, I've experienced the greatness and the glory of you. I will go, I will share. So we need to see the truth. But also we need to be sanctified by the truth as we go and tell others about this. What does that mean? Well, as I said, we're not just supposed to be in a huddle where we only speak to one another. No, 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 Jesus said, you've got to tell people this is so good. People need to know what I'm like. But we need to be sanctified to do that. Sanctified means to be more holy, to be made like Jesus, to be different. So we need to have lives changed by the gospel. He calls us to live a life that honors God and then go and tell people. So we don't just live however we want. We want to say, God, how do you want me to live? What does your word tell me about how to live? And then I'm going to go and tell others about you. See, a person who is living the life and then sharing it, well, that is a, a really powerful thing. So see what this tells us about sharing the gospel. What is the most loving thing you can do for those you love, who you are desperate to hear this great news? 
the most loving thing you can do for them is be amazed by Jesus and live a life for him. So what can you do to help yourself be more amazed by Jesus? What is it, as you look at your life, that encourages you to love Jesus more, to see him as great? As I've said before, it's going to be different for each one of us. Is it you need to make time to um, speak to that person you, or, or these people because you know when you spend time with them, they help you love Jesus more? Well, then put time in the diary. Set time aside to speak and spend time with them. Is it you know when you pray with other Christians, that encourages you? Make sure you do that. If it is listening to good Christian music that thrills your soul, make sure you do that. If it is you know you need to read a good Christian book, or there's a book that's helped you in the past and you haven't read it for a while, make time to read that. What is it for you that really kind of stokes the fire of amazement in Jesus? Then you need to do that make time for it because as you behold the glory of Jesus as you experience his greatness you'll want to share it but as well what is the most loving thing you can do for our neighbors and loved ones we need to live for Jesus as well you need to live a consistent Christian life what is there in your life that isn't consistent at the moment with Jesus and what he loves and what he hates for the love of those people around us. We need to pray that God would help us to live lives sanctified by the truth. So we don't just stick together. We, we go out and we tell, but we do that with an amazement of Jesus and a, a, a difference for him as well, living differently. As we're amazed by Jesus and transformed by him, look what else we're told. Verse 13 is kind of sandwiched in between the, the warnings and the, um, the things that are a threat against us. He says... I pray these things, I'm coming to you, and I ask these things and speak to the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What is the joy that Jesus told me? I'm praying that they would know this joy. What is the joy? Well, in Hebrews 12, it tells us this. For the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. So imagine the scene, as it were. God the Father tells God the Son, Jesus, this plan he has. To, to have people uh, saved and rescued and forgiven. And Jesus hears that plan. And what's his response? Joy. They get to see what my father is really like. They get to see the greatness and the glory of God. That thrills him with joy. And as we take part in telling other people about how great Jesus is, it will fill our heart with joy. And Jesus wants us to know that joy. Maybe you're lacking in joy and reality and vibrance in your Christian life. When was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone and told somebody how great Jesus is? Is there a correlation there? I'm, I'm sure there must be. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't is this true? How can I share this if I don't believe it's true? Well, look again at Jesus. He is the one who is revealed of who the Father is. That is why this is great news. That is why we want other people to hear it. Because this is the best news in the world. Jesus wants you to know the joy of telling others how great Jesus is and how great the gospel is. So let's see the truth and pray we see Jesus in his greatness and be sanctified by it and know the joy of sharing it. So Jesus' heart, his burden for the believers, he wants this truth to be known, who God is made known through Jesus. He wants this truth to be protected inside and out, and he wants this truth to be shared um, with consistent lives, with lives amazed by Jesus, and with lives filled with joy for him.
Shall we pray before we come and sing our last song together? And I can say that now without having to correct myself. We can sing the last song together. Yes, thank you, Terry. We'll come to the collection in a moment. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus has this heart for us to know the truth. And we pray that many more people would know it, even today, Lord, that people would trust in you and help those of us who do trust you, Lord, this morning to be amazed at you and to be able to have opportunities to tell others about you today. Lord, this news brings hope at the hardest of times. It brings an unshakable joy even in the midst of sadness. It brings us deep peace and freedom. We pray, Lord, please help us to be amazed at this truth and to be able to share that with those we love around us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.